I count it a huge honor to be able to come and share. And we're talking about this royal road. And uh, I'm quite excited about this series because we're tackling a number of issues that often we don't get in the, in the Christmas program. And today is one of them. We're going to be looking at Egypt and the part that Egypt plays in this great narrative from the Gospels. But let me just remind us of where we have come from. Last week we looked at Bethlehem and um, we tried to show that actually the royal road though as far as the humanity of Jesus and the birth of Jesus is concerned, started at Bethlehem, actually the royal road, technically, I think, started way before the creation of time. And I put it to you that uh, the Messiah who was to be born, Jesus who was to be born, the Bible says came in the fullness of time, at the right time. And I put it to you that, that, that what we celebrate at Christmas is not a random event that just happened at a particular time in history, but from before the foundations of the earth, God's plan and purpose of salvation for a fallen world was for a particular time where the Messiah comes on a particular day in a particular location the royal road had to begin in a royal city or royal town. And, you know, I was always, as a boy, I always missed the genealogies, you know, when you read uh, Matthew and Luke. And yet the genealogies are so important to understand that we serve a God who had a plan from before the foundation of the world. And so technically the royal road began right the way back. And the genealogies that you'll find in the Gospels go right back to Adam, the first man, and the second of of the genealogies goes back to Abraham, the man of faith, coming right the way through ancient history, through Old Testament. And halfway through, you find an intriguing little story in the genealogy line of Boaz and Ruth. And it was in Bethlehem where the account of Boaz and Ruth takes place. And I take... um, each year, people to, uh, not this year, but to take people to Israel. And one of the things that really impressed me was when I visited the shepherd's fields. You, you go through a, a gate with shepherd's fields above, and I think, well, this must be the real place. And you go there, and you, you look out over the fields, but then to the left is a big sign, Boaz Field. And just to the side of the where the shepherds were is this ancient story which shows me that God was planning and purposing that in that royal place the events of history are going to unfold and Ruth is in the line of the Messiah. And then if you follow that through and you go to Obed and you find then King David is born, on that Christmas morning, if you like, um, so long ago, Jesus had to be born of the line and the house of David, and there's this road that goes right back through the genealogies. But we saw last week that actually there's a road that's moving forward because the promise over David was there will be a son, there will be a king that will be on this throne and his rule will be forever and ever. And last week in Lincoln when I did this, I... I nearly, nearly sang the Hallelujah Chorus to conclude it. Thankfully didn't. But 
I want to tell us today that Beth, that Bethlehem account is so, it's so crucial to the history of humanity. And this whole story is. So I'm going to pick up the story now, a part that we often don't share at the Christmas season, uh, where um, the, the family, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, go into Egypt. So let me read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 13, and I want to share a few things from this passage that I think are important in this royal road that we are following. So verse 13 says, when they had gone, that's when the, the uh, uh, kings, the magi have gone, that's the little episode before here, the visit of the magi, it says, when they have, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading that, um, there are three uh, prophecy uh, comments there. Again, linking everything back. This is a royal road that was being prepared for. So write down that Gian... Uh, genealogy line I'm struggling with words today genealogy line the prophets are saying he's on the way the Messiah's coming there's coming a day when he will come all of the prophets are lining that up, that's why the gospel writers are always saying the prophets have foretold this the prophets have warned us this was going to happen this is a historic gospel that we're talking about and so after the Magi have left the, uh, an angel comes and says to Joseph, it's now time to take the family into a place where they're going to be protected. And so today's title is Messiah Protected. Egypt becomes the place where God ordained that uh, this baby that's just been born is going to be protected. Last week we saw the Messiah positioned, positioned in time, positioned in place. Today we look at 
um, the Messiah being protected. Now, sometimes when we read verses like this, we don't always think of the implications. Imagine this. Mary's just been through childbirth. There's been this period of time of adoration and worship. Everything seems to be going well. And then an angel of the Lord comes and says to Joseph, you're going to have to move pretty quickly. Now, Mary in pregnancy had to make the trip, didn't she, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which was pretty hard work, I would imagine. But I don't know if you know this, but the distance between Bethlehem and the borders of Egypt is around 75 miles. Now, you weren't able to just catch the bus. And so here we have to understand that these little stories that only take a paragraph... This is an amazing thing that has to take place. Imagine the frailty of that moment. Imagine you've just uh, started the family. There's a a new baby's arrived, and you've got to go through some pretty difficult terrain, desert territory, in order to get to Egypt. And we need to begin to identify with the struggles of, of that. Sometimes we think, you know, we go through the narrative, it's so short that we assume everything just happens really quickly and it's easy. It was not easy. And so Egypt eventually becomes the place of protection. But there's this long journey that they have to take to actually get there. And so we're going to look at a few points together. And I want us to see, firstly, uh, what we're calling a road of revelation. A road of revelation. Right the way through the gospel accounts, you find... An interaction of heaven and earth. You find miraculous things. You find you, you have angels, you have visitations, you have stars in the sky. This is almost as though angels and heaven are declaring this is very important. For many people it was under the radar. They didn't know it was happening. It's the same today. There's Fantastic things are happening across the earth. God is doing amazing things, but it's kind of under the radar. There's a world out there that doesn't know about it. I don't know if you heard the news, sad news in a way, that Reinhard Bonnke went to be with the Lord yesterday. That man has reached more people than any other human being in history, they say. Incredible millions have come to faith. But if I were to say Reinhard Bonnke in the, in the co-op, Nobody will have heard his name. Isn't it remarkable that under the radar, all the miracles, all the great things, the largest crowd that has... I'm going to preach now. The largest crowd that has ever uh, taken place on planet Earth was Reinhard Bonnke in Nigeria. Millions. And I think it's just fantastic that there's a world out there that doesn't know it. And it was the same at this period of time. Angels lighting up the sky. Star declaring the king's coming. Miracles are happening. Dreams are taking place. And the world is just passing by. It's the same today. And yet here, I believe we find in the life of Joseph, and I love that Joseph gets a bit of this miraculous stuff. Because so often the attention is upon Mary, rightly so. The wonder of it. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. And remember, of course, that Joseph was not the, the father in one sense, because we believe in the virgin birth, but he was the human father. And 
in this particular passage, and you know that uh, Joseph has struggled sometimes with the information, as any one of us would have struggled with the information, your wife's going to have a, have a child, and um, there'll be a virgin birth. That takes some believing, doesn't it? And so I think God, knowing the dilemma of Joseph, wants to make sure that um, heaven speaks to Joseph as well. <laughs> and in this passage, um, Joseph has at least three dreams with angels attending. I think it's fantastic. I want to put it to you. They were full technical. This wasn't, you know, is this my imagination? This was a magnificent intervention of heaven through dreams. And he was so taken by this that he did what was said. You know, if you just had a a kind of a, a dream and thought this might be this, might be that, you wouldn't get up and take your wife 75 miles up the road. But as soon as, as soon as the dreams have taken place, Joseph acts. And Joseph is obedient to the call of God. But our point today is that this is a road of revelation. This is a season where the Holy Spirit is working, is working through dreams. I love it through the Bible. Dreams and visions have been very important in God's working into humanity at particular seasons and times in life. And I love the thought that today, as the Holy Spirit works, there are sto- there's story after story after story of God coming to people today in dreams. I don't know if you know about this, but the Iranian church is one of the fastest growing churches in the world at this present time. And many Iranians are coming to Christ because in a dream, a man in white appears to them and declares uh, the answers to their lives. And, and I met an Iranian, there's a church in Liverpool uh, with uh, Iranian believers. Many of them have come to faith recently, and I was speaking to the pastor very, very recently, and he said, a big proportion of my congregation came to Christ out of a Muslim background because they had a divine intervention through a dream, and Jesus came in the dream to speak to them. I kind of love, I love this stuff. And here was a, was a season of great revelation. This was not a man-made fairy tale. It was not fiction. It was not just a story. But here we see God's fingerprints on the destiny of humanity. And we must never actually lose the wonder and the mystery of all this 2,000 years on. God himself broke into our world through Jesus Christ. And I believe that we can expect divine interventions today. You see, Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can expect heaven to touch earth today. And I believe that the kingdom is coming. I mustn't digress too much, but you do know the kingdom has come, don't you? The kingdom stepped into our world as Jesus stepped onto the earth. Kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said. It's at hand. In other words, you can grab some. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom is also, it's come, but it's also coming. Today across our world, the kingdom's going to come. What do I mean by that? Well, the rule of Jesus is going to come into human lives today as the gospel is preached. Maybe even in this room today, there'll be somebody that comes to faith, and when that happens, the kingdom comes. You know, every time a person is healed, the kingdom comes. 
You know, sometimes when I get a a little bit disillusioned, I I go around people and say, tell me a story or two. You know, we we have, as some of you know, a cafe in in, uh, our church, and uh, the the people that serve in that cafe, almost all of them are ex-heroin addicts, and when I feel a little bit low, I, I go to them and, and I, I usually take somebody who's visiting you know, me and sometimes not Christians and say, can you just tell this person your story? And the moment they talk about the intervention of God in their lives and they talk about the miracle of it, kind of stirs something up in you. You know, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I don't like Facebook because there's too many grumpy Christians out there. But, but, uh, but I am on Twitter. And yesterday, this guy uh, sent me a little private note in my Twitter account. And he said, I thought I'd I'd encourage you. And he sent a a little um, sort of uh, piece from their church magazine. And and it was a little testimony of of a young girl. And the testimony was something like, I want to thank the church, I've been in this church for a long period of time, you put foundations into my life. And then the second paragraph said, I've just gone to Lincoln and I've found a a, a new church and uh, two Sundays ago uh, in Lincoln on a Sunday evening I opened my life to Christ and uh, I've become a follower of Jesus and life has become so exciting. Often you don't hear the stories, and I'm thinking, keep telling the stories. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. But the kingdom of God has not yet come in all of its fullness. That's why we live with mystery. That's why everybody we pray for isn't healed, but we still keep praying. That's why there's still a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in our world. But our Christmas story is telling us, as we've heard this morning, living hope. We're heading somewhere. There will be a day at the end of the royal road when Jesus says, time, ladies and gentlemen, please, the end of everything, where everything will come under the authority of Jesus and he will reign forever and forever. And in that day, there'll be no more sickness, no more tears. Every tear will be wiped away and Jesus will be Lord. So it's a road of revelation. Secondly, it's a road of redemption. Verse 15 says this, uh, verse 14, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Here's one of those prophecies. But this is a prophecy from Hosea and chapter 11 that talks about Uh, this situation. Now, um, Hosea uh, 1, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, when Israel was a child, so it's speaking about the nation of Israel, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So, what the writer is saying is this, there's something in the history of the people of God that was redemptive then, And the story was that the nation of Israel was going to be called out of Egypt. you remember? Out of slavery. And we think of Egypt in those terms, don't we? That the people of God were in Israel, but through Moses they were called out of Egypt. And now the writer says what happened there was just a picture 
preparing for the bigger event later on, and he mentions it here, and he says, this is, hap- this is happening right now. Out of Egypt I will call my son. So he called the nation out of Egypt, historically. But in this account, the Son of God is going to be brought out of Egypt, according to the prophet. So this lines up, it all connects. And out of Egypt I've called my son. And the same redemptive work of the coming out of slavery and out of Egypt, as Jesus is brought out of Egypt literally on that day, so there is a redemption that says we can be brought out of bondage, out of slavery, out of the old life, into the new, and we can be saved. This is a road of redemption. You know, the supernatural redemption that got the children of Israel out of Egypt, the supernatural intervention that got the Son of God out of Egypt and back into Nazareth and protected him, that same redemptive work, Exodus foreshadowed that which Jesus was doing on that day. And through Jesus Christ, we can be saved and brought out of captivity and slavery, saved by his grace. And I wonder today whether you know Jesus. This road is a road of redemption. He can forgive our sins. He can cleanse us. He can bring us out of bondage. He can bring us out of slavery. Brings him uh, as into the gift of eternal life. So it's a road of revelation. It's a road of redemption. Jesus came to redeem us. And I just love this prophetic thought. Out of Egypt I called my son. And, you know, just as it applies historically in Hosea to the nation, historically to Jesus, the Son of God out of Egypt, it applies to us, we can become sons of God, brought out of Egypt into the promised land of his blessing. Good news, yeah? So a road of revelation, a road of redemption. But also, uh, this points to a road of relationship. Let me read verses 16 to 18 because they they seem a little bit strange at first until you begin to connect the dots. And again, we're going to look back into the prophetic. um, The the prophets have been speaking about what would take place. So verse 16 says this, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You you know this terrible event of the killing of innocents, the killing of the innocents, terrible thing, and of course some people have said there is no historic evidence that that took place, and yet there was the knowledge that Herod was a cruel king, cruel dictator, and I do think sometimes when we think of the massacre of the innocents, we, we think of big groups of babies being slaughtered. The, the truth most likely is, and William Barclay, who does his commentaries, I think is very good on the background and stuff of Gospels, perhaps not as good on certain other things, but in the uh, uh, commentary, he talks about this event. At that time, the... Bethlehem, the size of Bethlehem, when that edict is given, 
he would estimate between 12 and 20 baby boys would be killed. When I read that, I was thinking of this vast slaughter. But imagine in a village, 12 to 20 babies being being killed. So it was a terrible thing, a very terrible thing. But the event that day was lined up with a historic event. Again, this prophetic word. So in verse 17, it says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And this is the prophecy. A voice is heard in Rama, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So you think, well, what's that prophecy got to do with this event of Herod? I believe it's it's this. That in the history of the people of God, when uh, the people of God were taken captive into Babylon, then there was destruction and many of ch- many children were killed in that exile period and there's this poetic picture of of this woman of history and faith Rachel weeping for her children now again a visit to the holy land has helped me with this because if you go to bethlehem today and you go to the border you will find big signs for Rachel's tomb So all of these things connect with geography and time and setting. And so here we have this picture of the slaughter of the innocents connected with the slaughter of those children in the days of the exile and the weeping over them. And yet, and it was um, Jonas that brought this out in some of his notes, and let me read a little bit of that. The context of Jeremiah is a vision recorded in brokenness and tears of the city of Jerusalem being destroyed and the innocent children being slaughtered in the Babylonian invasion. He uses poetic vision of Rachel, the wife of Jacob, Jacob and mum of Joseph and Benjamin, weeping for descendants. However, the context of this weeping and brokenness is Jeremiah... 30 to 33. So the prophecy is Jeremiah 31, verse 15. But to get the best of it out of this, there's a little bit of homework I think you should do, which is to do with Jeremiah 30 to 33, in which he prophesies the coming of the Messiah and the new covenant, which will bring comfort and joy in the midst of pain and tears. So this word that's there is saying there's a God who loves us, In the suffering, through the suffering, there's a God who, back to our title, protects. God wants to protect. God wants to bless. God wants relationship. And Jeremiah prophesied in the brokenness, sinful, evil actions of humanity and devastating tragedy, there are green shoots of hope and grace. And I think that's very wonderful. The road is not simply of being forgiven and redeemed, But there's one who wants to relate with us, a loving Heavenly Father who wants to put his arms around us. And it's really worth reading those Jeremiah passages that talk about God wanting to write on our hearts his word. He wants relationship with us. He wants to know us. And so here we see a road of relationship. And then the final little part is a road of rejection. A road of rejection. 
You know, I'm doing a little bit of study at the moment around the whole Christmas season, and on Tuesday we're getting our staff together. I've been thinking about the mixture of this story, where you've got pain as you see the slaughtered innocents, but you've got joy as you see the Magi opening their gifts. And there's this mixture, isn't there, of great rejoicing in heaven being opened, but then the oppression of the enemy trying to destroy life. And I see that right the way through the Christmas story. You know, I I think, for instance, of two things with regard to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary's song and Mary's sword. You know, the, the, the Magnificat, where in the glory of this occasion, Mary rejoices in God her Savior, and she quotes scripture, and she's blessed. She's a blessed woman. She rejoices. And Mary's song, which, you know, often in daily devotions through the Anglican Church, you'll read the Magnificat all the way through, because it's, it's the song of praise. It's the glorious thing. But you also remember, and we'll perhaps look at this as we go further down this road, as Jesus enters the temple, Simeon begins to prophesy over Mary. Remember, at that point, everything that Mary has known has been joyful. It's been great news, good news, peace to all men. And yet Simeon begins to say, actually, though, there's going to be the rising and falling of things. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain. And a sword will pierce your heart also, Mary. And I want to say that the Christian life is mixed with huge song and rejoicing. But it's also, there's also a sword. There's also pain in this stuff. And as you go through this royal road and see the accounts, it's this mingled great news, good news, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But it's mingled with pain and suffering. And that's picturing the way that Jesus is going to go, the way of the cross, the Via Della Rosa, where Jesus is going to be dying on a cross that you and I might live forever. So, verse 23, as I conclude this, just to uh, give the continuity, verse 22, it says, um, but when he heard that Archelaus was uh, reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, there it is again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Now, this is where it gets a bit complicated when you start to read this because there isn't a mention in the Old Testament of Nazareth. There isn't a prophecy about Nazareth in the Old Testament. So I was thinking, what does this mean? And again, when I went and uh, went to a place called uh, Nazareth Village um, where a group of Christians have tried to get things back to the days of Christ and they gave little talks to us. And uh, this Christian guy stood in front of a, um, a tree and showed us the, the uh, branches that were beginning to come out of the base of the olive tree. And he says, Nazareth, you know, is the, from the root word netzer, which means branch. 
and that in Nazareth, the place that we'll look at where Jesus lived a big proportion of his life until he was 30, in Isaiah 11 and verse 1, there is the prophecy uh, about the branch out of the stump of Jesse. And the Messiah King is referred to as the branch of Israel. The Hebrew word sounds like it's this word netzer. And every time we've been, N-E-Z-E-R, every time I've been there, people in Nazareth that are Christians have talked about that word, saying, out of here, out of this stump of of, uh, Nazareth was a, can anything good come from Nazareth? That was what Nathaniel said, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so out of that place, out of that place, if you like, of rejection, out of that tree that's almost, you know, chopped down, out of the root, through the line of David, comes the Messiah, Jesus, and he will be called a Nazarene. He will be based in Nazareth. Jesus, who in part of this story is acclaimed and proclaimed as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, as these mysterious magi bend down and bring their gifts, is the same Jesus who later in life is going to walk the way of the cross and die the most cruel of deaths, the song and the sword. And my prayer this Christmas is that we'll enter into some of this and we'll walk a bit of that royal road so that we understand God's providential hand from the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world, through this wonderful line of Adam and Abraham and Boaz and Ruth and David until the right place at the right time in the house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life, steps into our world and he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Rejected of men. Uh, The scriptures say, um, you know, wasn't anything humanly to attract. But this is God's son, Jesus, the savior of the world. I wonder if we could pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this royal road starting in a royal town and we praise you, Lord, that we are part of this road of salvation. And my prayer today is, Lord, that you would help us to to walk in a way that honors our wonderful Savior, Jesus. Thank you for the revelation road. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, you still, people are still dreaming dreams and seeing visions. Thank you, it's a, it's a glorious road. And thank you, Lord, it's a road of redemption. And thank you that it's a road of a relationship where you say you want to know us and you want us to know you as Father. And I bless you today for everything that Jesus has done. My prayer today is that we will be empowered again with fresh anointing and a sense of deep gratitude that we will live our lives in a way that honors Christ. And I also pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in our gathering here this morning that needs to step onto that road and find Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray it will happen today in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you so much, Stuart. It's um, so easy to hear a talk so well brought of truth and to feel the stirring of the Spirit, but not necessarily to respond to that stirring, just move on from here. And the beauty of the dynamic that we've got this morning with all the kids having left is that we've had space, a bit more space to reflect on this. I just... Uh, if the band want to come forward, we're going to spend a bit of time in worship, but this is, this is what I feel the Holy Spirit is saying in response to the word that, that Stuart has brought. Uh, this week, we were in Sweden uh, with a Bible college that we uh, have the interns with. We've got four more coming next uh, year. And I was speaking to a, a girl in the college, early 20s, who God just met very powerfully when we were there. And she shared this testimony. It really links with exactly what Stuart's been saying. And then I want to give an opportunity to respond. In, in her culture, to be a, a female and a firstborn was to be seen as something really low. And she grew up being called a sin and a mistake. And she was in that Egypt, in that sense. And she said then she met Jesus and her whole life was transformed. And that's the story of our lives, is that King Jesus is real, he's alive, and he wants to take us out of Egypt, out of that bondage, into a, a freedom, a royal road with him. And maybe there is someone here who's never personally given their life to Jesus. You can hear it all, but unless you personally accept it, you're never going to step into all that God has for you. And so there's a prayer that we use every week here in a live that we're going to just use. And we're going to pray this together because there may well be people here this morning who gave your lives to Jesus many years ago. But if you're honest, you've just lost him. And the busyness or whatever it is. And so this is a great prayer to use to come back to him and to journey on this royal road with him again. And so, shall we stand together and we're going to pray this prayer all together this morning and then I'm going to ask people to indicate if they respond and we'll pray. But let's say this prayer together as a group of people who love Jesus. So let's say this prayer. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I lived my life without you and have messed up, and I ask for your total forgiveness, and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And as we're standing with our, our eyes closed in response, maybe there's someone in this room that has prayed this prayer for the very first time, that you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior for the very first time. And if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. 
and one of our hosting will connect with you after the service. But if you have responded, just put your hand in the air and I'd love to pray for anyone in this room that has made that step this morning to personally give your lives to Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. I pray for people in this room that are in Egypt this morning. Egypt in the sense of a a place of bondage, a place of hopelessness. That road of rejection that Jesus has walked down means he can sympathize with you. He can walk with you with a a God who understands the brokenness and the pain and the betrayal. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. So come and minister to people in this room, God, now. And so let's respond in adoration. Let's respond in wonder and awe to the King who walked this road for me and for you. And in the midst of this, let's adore him and let's open our hearts to him. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us this morning as we sing to the King. Amen. Let's go for it. Let's adore him together. 